Morena. So we're continuing today in a, the series of Her Story, Her Voice, looking at various different women in the Bible. Um, and I was very um, pleased to be asked to contribute to this. And when Howard said, well, who would I like to talk about? My mind immediately went to Deborah. Because I think she's quite a remarkable woman. I think, um, as, I, as I've said often before, when we grow up in the church, as I did, and we're used to the Bible stories, sometimes it's not until we're older that, that we, we realise just how remarkable some of the stories are. And I think that, that Deborah, um, the story of Deborah and Barak and Jael, another very interesting woman who is in the story that we didn't hear about, um, is, is remarkable because she lived in a time when uh, you know, women really didn't hold roles of leadership that often. And I think when you grow up in our world today and you see women, particularly in New Zealand, taking all sorts of leadership roles, it, it's become normalised, which I think is a great thing, don't get me wrong. But I think that it's sometimes hard for us to appreciate uh, exactly how different life was for women and in the t biblical times, um, although I have to say that frequently I am very grateful that I was born not only in the time that I am, but in the place of the world that I was born into, because I think that a lot of women in many parts of the world is very similar to what we see in, in the Bible in these times. The Bible starts off with such high hopes. We hear that male and female God created them in his image together, we are in the image of God, and yet it very quickly deteriorates. You know, only a few chapters later in Genesis, we hear of Sarah being put in danger by her husband because he was afraid for himself, um, and he does it not just once, but twice. A bit slow to learn, perhaps. And, and we see women being used as bargaining chips, really. And it, there's nothing in the text to tell us what Rachel or Leah thought about the fact that Leah ended up married to um, Jacob when he really loved Rachel. And, uh, but their father kind of used that to tie Jacob to him for another seven years of service. And wasn't that a very unhappy household? And we see Dinah, Jacob's daughter, the only daughter we hear amongst that brood of sons he had from his two wives and their handmaidens, um, being raped. We see Tamar, Judah's daughter-in-law, having to pretend to be a prostitute as the only way she can get what she is owed under the law from Judah, who didn't want to follow the law for reasons of protecting his other sons. So we see a lot of women um, very clearly as people who frequently were not valued by their men. And um, so I think, I think that kind of adds poignancy. Now, I'm not saying that that was entirely the lot, because we also see some remarkable women in those early stories. We see the midwives uh, of the Hebrew people, and they are actually named Shipra and... Put it down somewhere. Pua. Um, you know, two, two women we actually hear the names of, um, who kept the Hebrew male children alive when they were supposed to kill them through their um, willful civil disobedience um, to Pharaoh's command. We see 
Miriam's, Moses' sister, who, who I assume is the one who stood beside the banks of the river when Moses was in the bulrushes and said quickly to Pharaoh's daughter, oh, I can get a woman to be his midwife who was actually his mother. We, but we also see her being a prophet and standing alongside Moses in his ministry. We see Pharaoh's daughter exercising her agency, although she was obviously a woman of power being Pharaoh's daughter, but she adopts Moses. We see Rahab choosing to side with the Hebrews in the, in the uh, conquest of Jericho. So there are certainly lots of very strong women, but I, don't, but I think that predominantly when we look at the Bible and we hear about the heroes of the faith, we, we hear about the men, and the men certainly had a lot more agency and a lot more ability to shine, if you like, than, than the women. So we come to Judges, and I have to say that Judges is not an easy book to read. It's not one that I would recommend as light bedtime reading. Um, and there's certainly some very horrific stories in it, particularly in the last few chapters, that, that don't sit easily with us at all, and they do speak, I think, to my point about how badly women were, were treated, particularly uh, the story of the Benjamite and his concubine, which is horrific. But, and it is very difficult for us to read Judges because we have such a different approach. Even the reading we heard today where the whole army was slaughtered, I mean, that, that doesn't sit easily, easily with us in, in, in how we view things. And so I'm not saying that this is an easy book to look at, but it, it is a book that um, does contain stories about a number of the heroes of the faith. For example, Gideon is, a, is another hero that we would have all learnt of at Sunday school and Samson and Delilah. And, and the pattern of Judges is that we've got the first couple of chapters where uh, at the end of Joshua, it's like the, the Israelites have conquered the land and everything is rosy. But what we learn in the first couple of chapters of uh, Judges is that, in fact, although they conquered the land, they didn't completely conquer it, and they were still there living with some of the people who used to live there. And those peoples um, provided temptation to the Israelites. And so we see the cycle in Judges where they forget their promises to God, they fall into worship of other gods, they rebel against gods, in other words. And, and God, because of this, brings oppression in the form of, of um, surrounding con conquerors or, or kings, uh, oppressing them. And then uh, they get to a point where they've had enough of that and they remember God and they cry out to God and God provides a deliverer. So that's the pattern that we see in Judges. And the deliverer is, is a, a person who's called by God, to, and that is generally what the judges were. They're, they're not the kind of the judge that we think of sitting in a court with their robes on and delivering decisions. Uh, as a rule, a judge in the book of Judges is the, the saviour, if you like, the deliverer that God has raised up to deliver the people of Israel from their uh, current oppressor. So... We've already had a, a couple of, of cycles of, of this by the time we get to Deborah, or Deborah. Sorry, I, I knew somebody who called their child after Deborah and they pronounced it Deborah and I sometimes slip into that. Um, and she is, we meet her fully formed. She's sitting under her tree. You know, in some of the translations it says it's Deborah's palm tree between Ramah and, and Bethel. And she's a woman... 
to whom all of Israel is coming for decisions. I get the sense from reading the text that she did have some of that sense of, of being a civil leader. And some of the translations call her a leader in that verse that we heard translated as judge. Uh, and, and she was sitting under a palm tree, which I find quite interesting. And it made me wonder if she was similar to the elders who would sit at the, the gates of a city and it would provide decision-making in, in a civil manner that we, we see in other parts of the Bible. Uh, that was part, part of that kind of Middle Eastern culture of the time. Although she wasn't sitting outside a village, she was sitting under her palm tree. And we're not really told how she got to be there, but I think we can see from what the text says that if, some, if people are drawn to her for her decision-maker, I think she was probably quite wise. And, and, but one of the key things is, was she was a prophet. She was obviously filled with the Spirit of God, and she had the ability to um, speak into people's lives. And I think that's probably how she came to be in the position that she was. Um, so she's a prophet, and she's a leader, and she is living in a time when her people are being cruelly and violently oppressed. It, it was um, clear from the text and from the, the poem, some of the text that we haven't read from the poem later, that, that things were very difficult under Jabin. In, in uh, chapter 5, where there's the song of Deborah, it talks about village life has ceased. You know, trade was difficult, the, the highways were controlled by this foreign power, and, and they were cruel and they were violent. And there's, there's also a hint that they were particularly violent towards women. And in, in the later parts of that song, we see Sisera's mother wondering why he's so late to come back, not knowing, of course, that he's been killed. And she's wondering whether he's just busy dividing up the women, which, again, is another reason why I find Deborah remarkable. She's living in a time when it was incredibly difficult to be a woman. So here she is, this, this prominent leader in Israel, and she's seeing her people who are oppressed and cruelly oppressed. And so that with the inspiration of the Spirit, she calls up Barak. She says, come on, Barak, we've got to do something about this. And um, Barak, um, by the way, Deborah's name means bee, so she's full of energy, I think, and buzzing around, and Barak's name means lightning, which I also find quite interesting. Um, so she summons Barak. She needs to summon a military leader because despite all her ability, she's not going to be somebody who's going to lead the army. And she summons him and says, you know, you've been chosen. It's up to you to deliver Israel. And she encourages him. You know, the Lord God has given this command to you and he's given Sisera into your hands. Now, Barak, he's not unwilling, but he says, sure, I'll do that, but only, really, if you go with me. Um, you know, we're not told why he was hesitant, because he was clearly willing to go, but he didn't want to go without Deborah. So it, it, perhaps it was that he wanted the reassurance of God's prophet with him as he was, fine, as he was planning the later stages of his military endeavours to have that reassurance that God was truly with him. But for whatever reason, he'll only go if Deborah comes with him. And she doesn't hesitate. She goes, sure, I'll go with you. Absolutely. 
I'm there to help you. I'll be there to encourage you. I'll be there to do what you need me to do. Um, but, by the way, you're not going to get the glory of really dealing to Sisera because you were a bit hesitant. Um, so she continues to guide him and she continues to encourage him and she continues to speak the word of the Lord to him. This is the day. This is the day that we go out and we free our people. And the bit of the story that we didn't hear read out was about Jael. And Sisera runs away on foot, despite having this immensely strong army with its iron chariots, 900 of them. Uh, the river Kishon's in flood and the, the chariots get mired and the Lord throws them into confusion. And he runs away on foot. And he runs away to Jael, who is the wife of Heba the Kenite, who we did hear about in the reading. And she welcomes him in. She gives him some milk, puts him to sleep, and then takes up a tent peg and a hammer and drives it through his head and kills him. <laughs> I told you it's not a particularly easy book to read. It's full of some pretty um, terrible things. But interestingly, Jael is called in Deborah's poem, Most Blessed of Women, which is not something I think that we would particularly agree with, given that she essentially murders a man who thought he was safe in her tent. But perhaps... From the point of view of a woman, having taken care of the leader of the military commander of this king, who would have been busy dividing the women for their own pleasure and use, that it was indeed um, to be seen as a fabulous act to get rid of this man. Um, so I'm not advocating that we imitate jail in our lives. But I am saying that maybe there's some reasons that, that uh, Deborah would regard her as most blessed of women. Um, so, what can we learn from Deborah? Well, I think Deborah had a number of gifts. She had wisdom. Um, and she, but, but more importantly, she was spirit-filled and she had, was a prophet. She was speaking the word of the Lord. Uh, often, throughout the Bible, we see that... Um, when God wants to break into the institutions that are there, he will send a prophet. And it doesn't have to be a woman, um, but it, it was, there are at least three episodes, I think, I can think of in the Old Testament where the prophet was a woman. And it was a way of breaking through the institutions that had grown up. And it was particularly a way for a woman uh, when they weren't able to be a priest, they weren't really going to be a military leader. And, to exercise some agency was, was by being a prophet, and it was a way that God could use the unexpected person to speak into a situation. Uh, and so I think that tells us that God will use those whom he wishes to use, um, even if it means going outside our man-made structures. And... Um, the other thing, you know, the other aspect of that is that Deborah didn't let the times dictate her her actions, and I I, I think um, one of the things that I noticed in Howard's sermon when he introduced this series was he talked about how often, even today, in some churches, women are not able to exercise the ministries that they they see that feel called to, um, and I, I think that. We need to take the message of, of the Bible, which is that God doesn't respect our man-made structures. If he wants to be active and have, give a, a role to somebody, then, then he will find a way around that. And in thinking about that, 
you know, it came to mind a couple of other women of this, no, of last century, who um, were able to exercise their gifts despite um, challenges put in the way by, by structures. And one of those was Gladys Alwood, who was a, a missionary to China. Now, she was accepted by a mission society to go to China, but then she really struggled to learn the language, and they decided they wouldn't send her. She went anyway and had an amazing ministry, particularly among the women and among orphans. So amazing it was made into a film, which I understand wasn't completely accurate, how unlike Hollywood. But, um, uh, but an amazing story and well worth thinking about. And the other woman who came to mind was Jackie Pullinger, who wasn't accepted by any mission agencies, but had a tremendous vision and drive and felt the calling of God upon her and went anyway and ended up having an amazing ministry in Hong Kong amongst gang members and drug addicts. Um, so I, I think that those are two kind of amazing stories of um, more contemporary times about how people who have been gifted by God and called by God have been able to go about their ministry despite the structures of the time that, that would have stopped them doing it. Um, so I, I think that um, not all of us are called to be leaders like Deborah was, and not all of us are called to go against the advice of people around us as Gladys Iwood and Jackie Pullinger did. But I think it's really important that we don't let structures around us stop us from seeing our gifts and exercising our ministries. I think, I think other things that we can learn from Deborah, she was an encourager. You know, she, she was very happy to encourage Barack, even when he showed some hesitancy in doing his job. She was, didn't hesitate. And I think encouragement is a, a really valuable gift that's often un, underrated. But the, the person who stands alongside you and says, sure, you can do that and I'll be with you if you need me, that's, a, that's an amazing the important gift and I think when we're struggling and when we're um, in need of that, that gentle encouragement and reassurance and just person standing beside us that that's something that nothing constrains us from doing that and, and in, in that context I have to say that in the last year I have seen people in this church exercise the most amazing friendship in very practical and loving ways to various members of, of the church. And, and I, I think that that is a, an example that stands in, in the tradition of what um, we see people like Deborah doing as they encourage those around them. I think one of the really key things about Deborah is that she wasn't in it for herself. She knew who she was and she knew who her gifts were. And I think that we are called to, as it says in Romans 12.3, not think of ourselves more highly than we should, but to think of ourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given us. So we're not to deny our gifts, but we're not to use them to our self-aggrandizement. They're not to puff ourselves up with, they're to be in the service of God and in the service of the community. She gives the glory to God. And um, I wanted to read a little bit out of the poem uh, in, in chapter five. Um, take my glasses off to do it. <clears throat> we, 
When locks are long in Israel, when people offer themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds indeed poured water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anoth, in the days of Jael, caravans ceased and travellers kept to the byways. The peasantry prospered in Israel, they grew flat on, fat on plunder. But you arose, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. To the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the triumphs of the Lord. So she is named in that, and named as a mother of Israel for her compassion and love for her people. But all along, she's not pointing to herself. She's pointing to God. She's giving the glory to God. And in fact, after this, Deborah actually disappears from the narrative of the Bible, and she's not even named in the chapter 11 in Hebrew of the Hebrews of Faith, although Barak is, which I find also quite interesting. But she's content to play the role that God has given her and not seek personal glory. And I think contentedness in the role that we've been given by God is also an amazing gift. And um, I think I'd like to say that, that that's a gift that I see in, in a number of people who, who um, both in this church and outside this church, that they know who they are and they live for the glory of God within, within contentedness within what their role is. So, encouraging it, compassion, seeking justice, as, as Phil said in his prayers. She was seeking justice for his person, her, her people. Not seeking the glory, but giving the glory to God. And not letting uh, the situation we find ourselves in or structures that are around us, the shape of our society, not letting that stopping us from fulfilling our God-given role exercising our God-given talents and working with God to secure compassion and justice. That, I think, is the story of Deborah. Amen.